0: John 17, and, um, and we'll pray once again. Lord, we do love you and praise you and thank you for um, your presence, that you are with us, that you are in us, and that you are upon us. Praise God, and we thank you for that, Lord. We do ask now that you would go before us and prepare the way for us to walk in, Lord, that you would prepare the soil of our hearts, even now, God, that we um, will be ready for the word to be received, God, that we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we would be doers also, God, that you would allow John 17 21 to really resonate with us this weekend Lord uh, our desires that we would be one with you and whatever it takes in our lives God we want you to accomplish that Lord so we now give you free reign and we ask that you would speak to us in Jesus name amen so uh, about uh, a year ago almost last May I was reading one of my favorite devotionals which is my utmost for his highest so did you, any of you have that devotional? I love it. I love Oswald Chambers, and then um, I have some others that I really love too, but that's one of my go-to devotionals. And so about a year ago, I was reading uh, the devotional, just in my morning reading to prime the pump to get into the Word, and here was John 17, 21. And uh, I started reading uh, this uh, devotional regarding being one, this Prayer of Jesus, how Jesus prays, Lord, make them one as you and I, the Father and the Son, are one. And it just really spoke to me. And I thought, how are we made one with Christ? What are the ways in which, in my own life personally, that I have really felt the closest to the Lord, seen Him work the most in my life? And it really is through, uh, as I thought. Sat down and thought about the the reading of the Word of God as I meditate on the Word of God through prayer and then really in my life through trials and suffering and i and i 'm venturing to say in your own lives as well that when we go through trials and suffering that we really have what I like to call in my own life growth spurts, like those times in your lives where you really grow quickly and in the Lord, and the Lord allows uh, trials and tribulations and suffering and pain in our life to accomplish that. So um, in this devotional that um, from Oswald Chambers, he said something that um, really leapt off the page on John 17, 21. He said, there is one prayer that God must answer, and that is the prayer of Jesus in John seventeen twenty-one. You see, God isn't concerned about our plans as much as His plans for his master plan for our lives is to transform us into the very image of Jesus Christ and he accomplishes that by making us one with him and as I said he uses different instruments or different tools to accomplish that. When we honestly pray, Lord, your will be done, has anybody ever prayed that? Yes. Guess what? He takes us up on that offer and our consolation is John 17:21. We are essentially saying, "Okay, Lord, start your work in me start molding me and shaping me into your image and make me one with you as we look at the context of John 17:21 this prayer of Jesus we see that his prayer is not only for us but it's for himself and for his disciples That they too would be one with him. And the reason why he prays that the church be unified, that his disciples be unified, is because we have the world that's watching us, right? The world is looking on and they want to see something different. If we say we're believers, we should resemble the one that we our following, the one that we love, the one that died for us. There should be a resemblance. So the world is looking on and seeing, like, in which way are you one with the Father? In which way are you one with the Son? If you have a red lettered Bible, which I do, um, and I have my Bible right now open to John 17. If you look in John 15, 16, 17, 18, and you have a red letter Bible, meaning those are the words of Jesus, you see a lot. Of red, don't you? You see very little black because those are the words of Jesus. In chapter 15 and 16, Jesus talks about his coming rejection, the work of the Holy Spirit, his death, and his resurrection. In chapter 17, we read the longest recorded prayer of Jesus in the Gospels is right here in chapter 17. In this prayer, as I said, Jesus prays for three people he prays for himself, he prays for the disciples, and he prays for all believers. He begins the prayer for himself in verses 1 through 5. I'm not going to read that because I really want to get towards the bottom, but in verses 6 through 19, Jesus prays specifically for his disciples, and I'd like you to follow along with me in verse 6. I'll read it, and you can just follow along. He says, I have manifested your name To the men whom you have given me out of the world. They were yours. You gave them to me and have kept your word. Now they have known that all things which you have given me are from you. For I have given to them the words which you have given me, and they have received them and have known surely that I came forth from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I pray for them. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours, and all mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to you, Holy Father, Keep through your name those whom you have given me, that they may be one as we are. While I was in them, in the world, I kept them in your name. Those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none of them is lost except the son of perdition, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they were not of the world, just as I am not of this world. Verse 15 says, I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, but they should keep, that you should keep them from the evil one. Verse 16, they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them by your truth. The word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. And for their sakes, I sanctify myself that they also may be sanctified by truth. As Jesus prays this prayer for his disciples, we see three specific requests. First, if you're taking notes, in verse 14, he says that his joy would be in them. And then he says in verse 15 that the Father would protect them and watch over them. So he prays for joy for protection. And then in verse 17, that he would sanctify them, which means set apart and make them holy by his truth, which is the word of God. So he here we see the prayer for the disciples that they would have joy, that they would be protected, and that they would be set apart. Then in verses 20 through 26, Jesus prays now for all believers, saying, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. And then here in verse 21 is our theme verse, and that All of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought into complete unity." Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 24, Father, I want those you have given me to be with me where I am and to see my glory, the glory that you have given me because you loved me before the creation of the world. Righteous Father through the world does not know, you now I know. And they know that you have sent me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love you have for me may be in them and that I myself may be in them. So here is the whole text for our retreat. Uh, Several times, two, three times, Jesus repeats, Lord, make them one, that they may be one in us. One, one, one anytime the Lord repeats himself we need to pay attention to that in this portion of Jesus's prayer he prays in verse 21 that they may be one as Jesus is with the Father and then added in verse 23 that they may be perfect in one adding that word perfect or perfected so that the world may know that the Father sent Jesus and that the world may know that it's out of his love and the love that we share with others, the love of Jesus. In verse 24, Jesus prays for all believers that we, or they, but we, would be with him in glory. And finally, in verse 26, Jesus prays that his love would be in them, in us. So we see here these four specific things that Jesus prays for us, that we would be one, that we would be perfect in one, in him, that we would be with him in heaven, and that his love would be in us. So one perfect in heaven, and that his love would be in us. This is his prayer. We see as Jesus prayed for himself and for his disciples and all believers, that he was wanting unity. Unity with the body of Christ, unity with us with him, and unity with um, other believers. And uh, so... As um, Jesus prays this for his disciples, for himself, and for us, we really see the heart of Jesus, what he's really after. And that is he's after the heart. He's after um, our heart, and he's after the heart of unity. But true unity, we know, is divine in nature, Right? It has nothing to do with what we can do. True unity cannot be manufactured. We can't make it up. We can strive and strain to have it, Um, but it can't happen apart from unity with Jesus. There's no way that we can have unity in the body of Christ or with anybody else unless we first are united and have that oneness and unity with Jesus Christ. True unity with others cannot happen unless we first have surrendered our heart to the Lord. You know, when I got saved, I was 19 years old. And I realized after I got saved that I had um, some bitterness that was harboring in my heart towards my mom. And God really put his finger on it right after I got saved. And praise God, I responded to that uh, I wasn't raised in a Christian home, and after I got saved, I found myself becoming bitter because I wasn't raised in a Christian home. I thought about how I would have been so different, even though I did get saved fairly young. I mean, 19 isn't that old. But anyways, I found myself having some bitterness, and I'm so glad that the Lord put his finger on it, and then I responded to that bitterness because um, I was able to go to my own mother before she was saved and ask her her for her forgiveness that she would forgive me for being bitter at her and guess what i got to pray with her to receive jesus and so it's so sweet when we respond um, to this important part of our life when the lord puts his finger on disunity in our own lives is if there's anybody in our own lives that we um are not um in unity with uh it normally means that something is wrong with our relationship with the Lord. So, maybe if that's a word for somebody here, ask the Lord. Ask him if he might not um, help you to um, reconcile that relationship if it's broken in obedience to him. And you might be very surprised at what the Lord does as a response. Well, we read this prayer of Jesus, and we um, and we think, "Wow, what a beautiful prayer! How Jesus prays for himself, and how Jesus prays for uh, his disciples, and how Jesus even prays for us." Um, That was sure nice of him to pray that prayer, you know, that we would be sanctified and set apart and that he would protect us and that we would be a good witness for him. But what we fail to remember is that the way to oneness with Christ is the way of the cross. We forget How Jesus was treated on earth, how he was the word made flesh and yet he was misrepresented and he was misunderstood and he was mistreated and he was beaten and bruised and crucified for us. How he had never experienced the separation from the father until he died on the cross. You know, Jesus wasn't afraid of the nails that pierced his hands or the crown that pierced his head. He wasn't afraid of the beatings that he would experience. He was sweating great drops of blood in the garden of Gethsemane, not because of how he would be treated, but because he would be for the very first time separated from the presence of God. Have you ever thought about that before? I mean, it is really profound, isn't it? When we go into the presence of God, when we die, we are for the first time in the presence of God. But when Jesus died, he was for the first time separated from the presence of God. And that is what the turmoil and the, um, the sweating, the great drops of blood was because he was for the first time going to be separated from his heavenly father. Ladies, becoming one with the Father and Son means experiencing everything that Jesus experienced. If we are to be made one with Jesus, then we must be willing to take part in all of the red lettering in our Bible. The rejection, the working of the Holy Spirit, the pain, the sorrow, the suffering, the death, the loneliness, the trials, the tribulations... Being made one with the Father and Son means walking where Jesus walked, feeling what he felt, seeing what he saw. It means being united to him on every level, the good, the bad, the difficult, the painful, because when we accept this free gift of salvation, the process begins. The process of sanctification, the process that he prayed for us of being set apart, of being sanctified. That process, it begins when we say, I do, or I will, or yes, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. As we become more like him, we're becoming one with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. We are part of this team, and we know that there is no I in team, is there Jesus will do whatever is necessary to rid our lives of what I call the I syndrome, right? It's me, it's my, it's I, it's mine, it's I. Jesus will do whatever is necessary to rid us of that. He will allow us to strive and to strain and even to suffer at times that we may go from me to we to he, where it's all about him this process we know took the apostle paul like some 40 years right he went from me to we to he we're told from the apostle paul in 1st corinthians 15:19 that he said these great words i am the least of the apostles but then as he got a little bit further along in his walk with the Lord, we read in Ephesians 3.8, he says, I am the least of the saints. And then, towards the end of his life, in 1 Timothy 1.15, he said, I am chief sinner. He went from me to we to he. And that is how we become one. The longer we walk with Jesus the longer we are um, in the word, abiding with Christ, we too will go from me to we to he. We will become part of this team. The more Paul was able to see this pattern of Jesus, the more clearly he understood how far short he really fell from this pattern. And the same is true with us. I have found personally that the longer that I walk with Jesus, this is a true reality for me. Each day I see how I fall short more and more in my relationship with the Lord. The closer to Jesus we get, the more clearly we see our sin, and the quicker I think we do as well. It's like eating clean. I was thinking about this. The cleaner you eat, the more quickly you react to something foreign if it gets in your body. And um, the same is true with us. The cleaner we are with the Lord, you know, that spiritual soap, we eat the Word of God, and somehow it does this mysterious thing. It goes inside our body and cleans us from the inside out. I mean, our heart is cleaned, and then it goes up here to our mouth, and it goes a little higher to our mind, and it's just cleaning us from head to toe. Our actions are clean, our thoughts, the intents everything gets purified. But when something foreign gets in there, the cleaner we are, the more quick we respond to it, right? The point that I'm trying to make and that we're really looking at here is that our desire in life as we become more like Jesus and one with him, is that we will look less and less like us (laughs) and more and more like him. Amen? We want to look into the mirror every day and see him. And not see us. We want to see us dimly, but our desire is to see Him more clearly. And this weekend, we want to share with you, ladies, some tools, as I shared with you earlier, some instruments that the Lord uses to make this possible in our own lives, to make us really one with Him. We'll see how He uses the Word of God to mold us into His image, how He uses prayer to draw us into communion with Him him and how he he uses trials, yes he does, and tribulations and times of suffering and pain to draw at our dependence and faith in him. It's like he is allowing our roots to go down and the trials send them out. They send them out. Why? So that when the storms come, We won't be moved. We won't be easily uprooted. It's all part of the process, ladies. To be one in this sense means to be joined and merged to Jesus. It's the deepest level of intimacy possible. In fact, J. Vernon McGee uses the original translation, and it means intercourse, to describe the deepest oneness humanly, Possible. We each have been given and created this desire for intimacy. Being intimate, as one person described it, is into me see. Into me see. Think about that for a minute. It's blending our hearts with another so we can see into who they really are, and they, in turn, can see into who we really are. Sharing an intimate relationship in this way is more, of course we know, than merging bodies together. As we share intimacy in Christ with Jesus, we are merging our hearts, our minds, our wills with his. It's merging all of us with all of him. When Jesus prayed this prayer in John 17:21, he was not after our minds. He wasn't even after our wills. He was after our hearts because he knew if he could get our heart, then eventually he could get the rest of us. Amen. When we sit alone each day and we read our Bibles, we call out what We call that daily devotions, don't we? That's normally what we call it, devotions. How appropriately named? (laughs) Devotions. We show our devotions, our love, and our loyalty, and our enthusiasm towards the Lord when we sit. That's what the word devotion means. Love, loyalty, and enthusiasm towards somebody or something. When we have our daily time with the Lord, our daily devotion, we're in, in a sense saying, I love you, Lord, and I'm, and I'm showing you my love towards you by getting to know you more, by becoming one with you, by merging with you in that sense. Jesus is our way to oneness to the Father because true intimacy with God and the Father comes through Jesus alone. Since intimacy means into me see, how can anyone see into me unless I open myself up? We have to respond, don't we? We have to open ourselves up to be able to have that into me see, to have somebody come in and respond and to love us as we desire to be loved. Becoming one with the Lord starts with allowing Jesus into our hearts, to be our Lord and our saviors. He begins to enter each area of our lives until he lives in every single place in our lives. You know, some of you may have read that little booklet I did when I first got saved. Someone gave me that little booklet. It's called Christ's Heart, My Home. It's the sweetest little booklet, and I remember it because... um, it's powerful, and it shares about how our lives are like a home, and how we are to let Jesus into every single room in our home. How many of you read that little booklet? Okay, some of you have. Um, I'll get the author, and we'll, um, we'll announce it to you, Gal, so maybe they have them in the bookstore here. But it's such a great little booklet to have and to share, especially with new believers. But even with those who aren't new believers, because what it uh, essentially shares is that uh, there are certain parts of our lives that we just don't let the Lord into, right? I mean, we just say, No, you can come this far, but mm, I think I'm gonna keep this particular room under lock and key. Or, Lord, um, you can, um, you know, go in this room, but, uh, or have free access to these things, but, Not the password to my, you know, computer or my phone or, um, you know, I don't know, Lord, if I feel real comfortable with you sitting here while I'm watching these movies or listening to this music. You know, I think we need to really think about that. And a great rule of thumb is if you're sitting and watching something or listening to something, how would you feel if Jesus was right there with you? Well, he is. He is right there with us. But we don't often remember that he's there with us, and we take him everywhere with us. We take him to the movie theater with us. We take him wherever we go, and he's there. And I think we need to... um, Be mindful of really allowing the Lord to have the keys to every room in our heart. All those areas uh, that we really, even the closets, (laughs) you know, we say there's skeletons in the closets. Well, the Lord um, desires to go in there and clean those rooms up as well. Only he can do that, though. And, um, And I'm so glad that he does it slowly in our lives. It's not like he comes in and he just tears everything apart. Someone said um, having intimacy with the Lord is like peeling an onion. He does it a little at a time. And it's so sweet because, excuse me, because our desire is that we do want to serve the Lord, that we do want to become one with the Lord. But sometimes we can only handle so much of us, you know, like it's um, as he unveils our heart and our lives sometimes it's a little overwhelming, isn't? It? Like, okay, Lord, let's only a little bit at a time. That's all I can. That's all I can take, right? Um, but you know, I was thinking that um, true intimacy with the Creator of the universe takes time. It really does, and I believe that the more time you put in, the quicker you're going to be changed and become one with Him. Uh, I have discovered. That the greatest decision, the most life changing decision of my life has been asking Jesus to be my Lord and Savior, surrendering my heart. And then I surrendered my will to him, which often follows. And that has been the best decision, the most life-changing decision of my life. And I'm venturing to say that it is of yours as well. There's nothing that compares to that. I mean, this is eternity, right? It's like heaven or hell. Nothing can compare to this decision. Um, I, I put having a baby up there really high. That's like my next in line because I don't think anything changed me more than salvation than having a child uh, because I realized that I would never give one of my kids up for anybody and when we have a child, we realize that it's, we come face to face with what Jesus Christ, with what the the Heavenly Father did with His Son, and it becomes such a reality, and, um, and praise God that we're women, because we get to, I believe, experience the sweet intimacy in a way that men don't. We get to understand what it's like to carry a child, to birth a child, and to say, there's no way I would give my child up. For anybody else and that's exactly what the father did for us so it's a sweet intimacy a little deeper I think for women than men in that respect as I said before the Lord will often use different sorts of tools and instruments to accomplish his work and will in our lives remember that his ultimate goal is to make us like him That's his ultimate goal. To do this, he will use lots of different things that we're going to discuss this weekend. Like I said, the word of God, prayer, trials and tribulations. And I have to say, as I said before, that uh, it is through the trials and tribulations that I have really grown the most in my walk with the Lord. Oftentimes, we don't recognize Jesus in the midst of our storms, do we? Sometimes it takes us to get out of them, and then we look back and go, okay, I could see you in them. Uh, Sometimes we overlook Jesus because we're so overwhelmed in this storm, but even the disciples did this, right? Jesus sent them out into a storm twice, uh, knowing that he would rescue them from their storm, but uh, they didn't know that. So he let him go out there and strive and strain and struggle for a while, and then thinking that they were going to die, he came to them walking on the sea and were told that they didn't even recognize him. They thought that he was a ghost, and that is until Peter got out of the boat and we know walked on water for a moment, momentary, and before he sunk. But I wondered as I read that story again, how many times are we in the midst of the storm and Jesus comes to us and we don't recognize him because we're so overwhelmed with the trial, so overwhelmed with the storm. And then the second time, when Jesus allowed his disciples to be in the middle of the storm, this time he was on the boat with them and they said to him, Lord, don't you even care? Don't you even care? How dramatic we can be when we're in the middle of a storm, right? We lose all sense, all trust, all faith. The fear grips us and takes over. We don't recognize the Lord when He's there. When then, when He is there, we say, Why don't you care? Why don't you do something, Lord? As with the disciples, we too are learning how to trust the Lord. We're becoming one with him through our trials and our pain and our suffering. We must remember that we are sent into the storms for a reason. There is always purpose in our pain. His purpose is to get us to depend on him and his power and not our own. It's when we relinquish our power that he then, what, takes control. Oswald Chambers said, If we can stay in the middle of the storm and remain calm and unperplexed, that is the end of the purpose of God. What we call the process, he calls the end. He's not working toward a particular finish in our life. His end, ladies, is the process. That we can see him walking on the waves in the storm with no shore in sight, no success, no goal, just the absolute certainty that it will be all right because we can see him walking on the sea of our storm. To be one with the Father, ladies, means that we're okay with whatever process the Lord chooses to use in our life. For it's in the process and not the end that the Father is glorified. God's training, ladies, is for now. His purpose is for this very minute. His end is to enable us to see that he can walk on the chaos of my life right now. Do you believe that tonight, that he's here with us? That he's in your storm? Can you see him? Is it chaotic and overwhelming? We need to know that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or all that we can even think or imagine that he could do in our lives. Are you like the disciples that say, Lord, you don't even care about me. Where are you? We're going to die. I'm going to die, Lord. Where are you? We can't always see the Lord working in our lives. It's not always about what we feel, what we see. It's all about trusting him. See, that's where he's drawing out our dependence. Because faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things seen. (laughs) All right. Somebody caught that over here. It's the evidence of things unseen. You cannot see faith, ladies. You have to trust without sight. And we so want to see, don't we? We want to see him. We want to feel him. And that is not reality. There are times where we can very um, almost tangibly feel the Lord and see the Lord. But then there are times where he lets us Struggle and strain and try to do things ourselves, to realize that we cannot do it ourselves, all so that we will trust him, drawing out our dependence upon him, making us one with him. We don't always get to see what the Lord is doing For often he's working behind the scenes. He's preparing things. He's preparing us. He's getting us ready for what's ahead. You know, I love the story of David and Joseph. I could just read them for days. Both went through radical trials. Both were prepared for great things in their lives. But both had to wait for it to come to pass. David, anointed to be king at about 10 years old, and then having to wait for 20 years for it to come to pass. During that 20-year time, what did he do? He ran for his life. He killed a lion and a bear and a giant also. And he would be running and uh, afraid. He'd be hunted by a madman. Um, I wonder if he ever thought, does the Lord care about me? Lord, where are you? I don't see you in this situation, in this circumstance. What about Joseph? And do you think he ever wondered where the Lord was when his brothers threw him into a pit, and then decided to make a profit off of him and sold him into slavery for him then to be sold into the house of Potiphar and then to be uh, stalked for 11 years by Potiphar's wife and then to be wrongfully accused of something that he didn't do and then to be put in prison for two years? If anybody had an opportunity to question, it would be Joseph. Lord, where are you? I don't see you. What about Job? He definitely had a right to ask these questions. He lost everything he had, everything he owned, including all of his children then to be struck with painful boils all over his body and to have these terrible friends and this awful wife (laughs) who was telling him to curse God and die. Yet, despite the pain and the loss and the suffering, guess what? Job never blamed God. He never cursed God. He never turned from God. He trusted God, even though he could not see him. As did Joseph and David. You know, and at the end of Job's life, I love getting to the end of Job. I mean, I don't rush through Job anymore. I used to avoid the book altogether. But um, I love reading the book of Job because even though it's hard to read, when you get to the end, Job says these words in verse mm, 42.5, I think. I'm not sure of uh, the address, but I believe that's correct. He says, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eyes see you. What was it that made Job see the Lord? It was the trials. It was the tribulation. It was the sorrow, the pain, and the suffering that allowed Job to go from hearing to seeing. Trials, pain, suffering, they have a way of doing things in our lives. You know, either our vision is going to be blurred or it's going to be cleared. Either we become bitter or we become better. The Lord desires that we go from hearing him to seeing him clearly. And he uses the word of God and he uses prayer and he uses trials, yes, and pain and sorrow to accomplish that in our lives. The prayer of Jesus in John 17, 21 is what I like to think of the ultimate goal in our lives as believers, becoming one with the Father and the Son. We see that his prayer is not only for us to be one with him, but one as a church, unity as a body of believers, and the purpose for that is so that the world We'll see him in us. We are to be the ones, ladies, that first become one with him, that then can present him his love to the world. Is it easy? No. Is it necessary? Yes. May the Lord give us, ladies, the strength that we need to seek him diligently in the word, to be prayer warriors, And yes, even to go through trials that we now, maybe even some of us, are suffering, that we may go from hearing him to seeing him. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we do love you and thank you for this sweet word, Lord, from you in the word of God. Lord, we know that it's hard. This Christian life is not uh, easy, Lord, But when we said, I do, to you and became the bridegroom, or the bride, excuse me, of the bridegroom, we signed up for this life of becoming more and more like you, becoming one with you, God. And so we ask you even now that you would fill us with your spirit, God, that you would speak to us, that you would minister to us, God, that the word of God here tonight spoken would have gone forth and would resonate with our hearts, even it's one thing that you would speak to us that we could carry away tonight and into tomorrow, God, and, um, and that maybe we can share with someone. Lord, I'm sensing that you're um, working on someone's heart even now regarding bitterness, Lord. And I don't know who it is or if there's someone here, but somebody has, um, needs to forgive somebody and they're not. They're holding on to it, Lord. And we know that if we are not willing to forgive someone else, then you cannot forgive us, God. You have forgiven us such a great sin. Who are we to hold anything against anyone else, God? So whoever that is here today, maybe it's several gals, I ask that you would help them and give them the courage to take that step to unity, Lord. That they may be one with that person, be reunited, God, and then they can be reunited with you with you, God. And if there's anybody here that's bitter, God, I pray in the name of Jesus that they would set that bitterness down, God, that you would begin restoring them, that you would begin doing heart surgery in them, Um, just sewing their heart up, God. I see somebody who is hurt, God, and who's gone through pain, and I ask in the name of Jesus that you would minister to them even now in this time of worship as we um, just pour out our hearts to you, God, that you would begin healing those people whose hearts are broken. We trust you'll do that, and this is just the beginning of this great thing that you want to do this weekend. In Jesus' precious name, amen.